And so let's turn in our Bibles today, and we're going to go to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. As you know, we're going through this book, and uh, we're in chapter 2. We're going to read from verse 1 to 16, and we're going to uh, look at this today. Let me read. It says, And so it was with me, brothers and sisters, when I came to you, I did not come with eloquence or human wisdom as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God. For I resolved to know, to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. I came to you in weakness with great fear and trembling. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power, so that your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. We do, however, speak a message of wisdom among the mature, but not the wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. No, we declare God's wisdom, a mystery that has been hidden and that God destined for our glory before time began. None of the rulers of this age understood it, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. However, as it is written, what no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, what no human mind has conceived, the things God has prepared for those who love Him, these are the things God has revealed to us by His Spirit. The Spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except their own spirit within them? In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. What we have received is not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, so that we may understand what God has freely given us. And this is what we speak, not in words taught to us by human wisdom, but in words taught by the spirit, explaining spiritual realities with spirit-taught words. The person without the spirit does not accept the things that come from the spirit of God, but considers them foolishness and cannot understand them because they are discerned only through the Spirit. The person with the Spirit makes judgments about all things, but such a person is not subject to merely human judgments. For who has known the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. May the Lord bless his word to us today. I want to just begin as we consider this passage by reminding you of what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 1.17. And let me just read it to you. He said, For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom and eloquence, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. Do you know it's possible to preach the gospel in a way that empties it of its power? And that's quite a thought to me. That it's possible for me to stand up and preach the gospel in a way that is actually going to empty it of its power. And so when Christ sent Paul to preach the gospel, he didn't just send him to preach it, he told him how to do it. And we can see here from what Paul wrote in this book that the Lord taught him that he was not to try and win people over to Christ through human wisdom and through eloquence. He was not to try and make the gospel into some great philosophical treatise 
or to try and make it more appealing to human sensibilities. What was he to do? He was to present it exactly as it was revealed to him by the Holy Spirit, not in his own words, but in the very words taught to him by the Spirit. And he was to do so relying on the Spirit's power and nothing else, even if it seemed like it was foolishness to the people he was preaching to. And so this is exactly what Paul did when he went to Corinth. As we see here, he says, And so it was with me in verse 1 of chapter 2. When I came to you, I did not come with eloquence or human wisdom, as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God. For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. He didn't come with eloquence and human wisdom. He put all of that aside And he resolved to know nothing except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. That's all he wanted the Corinthians to know about. And it's the only thing that he talked about. I think we've all met people that are what we would call one-track minded. You know, every time you talk to them, they just end up saying the same thing to you. And it can be a bit burdensome at times. And I think that's the way Paul was when he went to the Corinthians. Every time he spoke to them, he was just talking about Jesus Christ and him crucified. And he never moved off that message. It was just repeated and repeated and repeated and repeated. But Paul wasn't doing this because he had some sort of personality like that. Or because he had some sort of mental condition. He was doing this because he knew that this is what people needed to hear if they were going to be saved. Look at what he says in verse 3. He says, I came to you in weakness with great fear and trembling. This describes Paul's demeanor as he stood before the Corinthians. Let's just stop and think for a moment of how Paul came to Corinth. The kind of image he presented to these people. He came as a complete stranger. They never knew him. They never heard about him. He walked in there as this complete stranger. And he comes to them in weakness, in fear, and in trembling. I can sort of see him standing there and his one lips quivering a bit and his hands quivering a little bit. He came with zero eloquence, speaking a message that just didn't make sense. I don't know if that's the way we would go about trying to win people that we've never met before. Certainly there's nothing in that that the Corinthians would have been impressed by. But if we look at 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 10 to 13, Paul actually describes a little bit further how he came to them. And I want you just to see this and try and get a picture in your mind. He says, we are fools for Christ. So he came, people looked at him as a fool. You are, but you are so wise in Christ. We are weak, but you are strong. You are honored, but we are dishonored. To this very hour, we go hungry and thirsty. We are in rags. We are brutally treated. We are homeless. We work hard with our hands. When we are cursed, we bless. When we are persecuted, we endure it. When we are slandered, we answer kindly. We have become the scum of the earth, the garbage of the world right up to this moment. There was nothing ostentatious about Paul. There was no glitz. There was no glamour. He was the opposite of a celebrity as he walked into Corinth. He didn't have big fanfare and bodyguards walking alongside him, rolling out a red carpet for him as he arrived. In fact, 
What we read here is everything that we would associate as being opposite to the means for success and appeal. In fact, it's, it's hard to even conceive how Paul had any success in ministry at all. I mean, just think about what he came with. Zero eloquence, fear, trembling, weakness, rags. His clothes were rags, he says. When they said to him, where do you live? He said, I don't have a home. There was nothing in Paul that would win people over. Nothing. Nothing in the natural that he could rely on to convince people that didn't even know him from a bar of soap that the message he was bringing to them was the truth of the one and only eternal God. So how did Paul do it? What was it that gave Paul the success that we know he had in his ministry? I mean, think of it today. Here we are nearly 2,000 years later, and we're all sitting and listening to what Paul had to say. That's the success of his, his work and his ministry. How did it happen? Well, he tells us right here in verse 4. He says, my preaching and my message were not with wise and persuasive words. Look at that. It wasn't with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power. What gave Paul the success that he had? It was that he relied on the work of the Holy Spirit. Not on a clever way of presenting the gospel. Not on a powerful speech. Not on charisma. Not on any of the things that people would normally associate with a successful leader. He relied on the Holy Spirit. The power of God. And why did, he do, did, why did he do so? I want to just give you three reasons here. and Maybe they can just go up. Firstly, he knew that the message of the cross will never appeal to or make sense to human intellect and reasoning apart from the working of the Holy Spirit. No matter how hard we try to make the message of the gospel sound reasonable, it will not sound reasonable unless the Holy Spirit is working in someone's life. Secondly, he knew that for people to be saved, they must come to the place where they cast aside, like a filthy rag, every confidence in human endeavor, power and virtue, and put their faith wholly and solely and perpetually in Christ and the promises of God. That's a place people have to come to in order to be saved. Thirdly, he knew that there is no human power or scheme that can bring a person into this place, only the Holy Spirit. So as Paul went, he realized that there was nothing that he could do that was going to achieve the goals for which he was coming to these people. He knew the only thing that could make his ministry a success was the Holy Spirit and the work of the Holy Spirit. Remember what he wrote in 1 Corinthians 1.18. He said, For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved it is the power of God. It's foolishness to those who do not have the Spirit. I don't know if you've tried to share the message and you just get these sort of curious looks. You know, and Maybe someone just tries to be polite, but you can just see this just doesn't make sense to them. But for people who are being saved, for people who do have the Spirit, this message is the power of God. So why is it foolishness to those who do not have the Spirit of God? It's because it is the opposite of what people 
naturally seek and demand. The gospel is not what people are seeking. The gospel is the opposite of what people are seeking. Look at 1 Corinthians 1, 22 to 23. He says, Jews demand, notice that word, they demand signs. Greeks look for wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified. God has not given a message to us that people are, are demanding and looking for. He's given us something that they haven't, it hasn't even entered into their minds. And he says here, it is a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. Isn't this amazing? That God is going to win people, not through things that they are looking for, but he's going to win them through something that is completely opposite to what they're looking for. That word stumbling block there is the Greek word scandalon. You know, we get the English word scand scandal from it. Do you know that the gospel to people without the Holy Spirit is scandalous? It's foolish. So why is the gospel like this? Why is it foolish? Why is it an offense? Let's have a look at this because it comes out in this passage that we read. Number one, it's God's wisdom. The gospel is not the wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age. It's a wisdom that is far higher than man's wisdom. It's a transcendent wisdom. And you know, we've all experienced this in our lives, certainly when we were children, I could say that at least, where we've been told something by somebody who actually had far greater wisdom than we had, and yet we thought that they were wrong, we thought that they didn't know anything, we thought that we were wiser than they, and what they were saying sounded like foolishness to us. Do you know that it's possible for something to sound foolish to us simply because it is far higher wisdom than we have? And that's what the gospel is. The gospel, secondly, concerns things that no eye has seen, no ear has heard, and has not been conceived or imagined in the minds of men. When you come to people with the gospel, you're coming with a message that people have never thought about before. People haven't been lying in bed at night and thinking, you know, what if someone came and died for my sins, what that would do to me. It is something outside the scope of human imagination and outside the scope of human experience. It's outside the realm of senses and it's outside the realm of science and philosophy because it belongs to the invisible realm of an invisible God. And as Paul said here, the gospel is communicating the deep things of God. And not only so, he tells us that it is expressed in spiritual words that have been taught by the Spirit. It's not the words of man. When we pick up this book and we read this, we're not reading the words of man. We are reading the words of God that have been communicated and written down, inspired in words that the Holy Spirit himself has given. This is what the gospel is. We can put it up there. This is what the gospel is. Have you got it? It is the revelation of God's wisdom given to his apostles and prophets and written down by them in words inspired by the Holy Spirit that express spiritual realities in spiritual words. And that's why apart from the work of the Holy Spirit, no one can understand them. 
Let's just read verses 6 to 11 again. And in, the, in, the, in the background, in the, in the light of what I've just shared, let's just read these verses. Paul says, we do, however, speak a message of wisdom. The gospel is a message of wisdom among the mature, but not, to the, not the wisdom of this age or the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. No, we declare God's wisdom. That's what the gospel is. A mystery that has been hidden and that God destined for our glory before time began. None of the rulers of this age understood it, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. However, as it is written, what no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, what no human mind has conceived, the things God has prepared for those who love Him, these are the things God has revealed to us by His Spirit. The Spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except their own spirit within them? In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. We drop down to verse 13 and 14. This is what we speak. What is this? It's the thoughts of God. It's the wisdom of God. This is what we speak not in words taught to us by human wisdom, but in words taught by the Spirit, explaining spiritual realities with Spirit-taught words. That's why the person without the Spirit cannot accept them and considers them foolish. You know, and so many times people pick up this book and they say, you know, I read it, but really, it doesn't make any sense to me. And this book will never make sense to any of us unless the Holy Spirit illuminates its words to us. And so this brings us to a place, brings us to a place today. And what is this place? We all need the Holy Spirit. Every single one of us. I need, to, I need the Holy Spirit to stand up here and share the Word of God. And I pray every single day as I prepare for every message, and I know Ian does the same, we spend time in prayer saying, Lord, help us. Show us how to communicate this. Show us what this means. Illuminate it to us so that we can help it to be illumin illuminated to, to every one of you. We need the Holy Spirit. I pray, Lord, fill me with your Holy Spirit so that as I stand, it's not just me saying some words, but Lord, it is you working in the lives of people. We all need the Spirit. You know that every time that we come and we gather here together to hear the Word of God, we should come with a prayerful attitude, asking the Father to give us the Holy Spirit and enable us to really get what He's saying to us, to really understand it. So we don't leave this place just having heard words that really have just come in one ear and gone out the other ear. And then thirdly, we all need the Holy Spirit so that we can all, share this gospel to people that don't understand it, don't know it. We have to depend on the Holy Spirit in our lives for everything. And so that's why today I entitled this message, The Indispensability of the Spirit. The bottom line is, God has given us His Spirit. Why? So that we can understand this book. You know, the Holy Spirit hasn't been given to us so that we can just have goosebumps. God hasn't given us a spirit just so we can some, have some ecstatic feeling. 
It's not about speaking in tongues. Why has God given us His Spirit? He's given us His Spirit. He tells us right here in verse 12. Let's read it. What we have received is not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, so that we may understand what God has freely given us. That's why God has given us His Holy Spirit. He's given us so we can understand the wisdom of God. And you know that even though the wisdom of God was hidden from those who crucified the Lord of glory, there's good news for us. God has chosen to make His wisdom known to us. Why? Well, Paul tells us here. He's destined it for our glory before time began. Isn't that an amazing thought? God has chosen to take these eternal truths and realities and communicate them to us. And by His Spirit give us understanding of them so that we can walk in the light of them. They were given, predestined, before time began, for our glory. To me, that's an incredible thought. God has chosen us, despite our weakness, our lack of ability, to know Christ, who is the wisdom and the power of God, and to have the mind of Christ, to be redeemed and made righteous and holy in Him. I think of it. He's chosen me, nothing but a sinner, to be His son and to be an heir of His kingdom. And you know that He's chosen you for the same thing. We who are sinners, nothing but sinners, have been chosen by God's grace to be His sons and His daughters and heirs of His kingdom. But for this to happen, each of us has to come to the realization that our wisdom, our brilliance, our education, our accomplishments are nothing but vanity. God has set up our salvation in such a way that it excludes man's learning, man's wisdom, and man's power. There's nothing we can do to earn it. He's done it this way so that even the uneducated, the weak, the poor, have the ability, the means by which they can receive salvation. And He's done it to destroy the wisdom of the wise. And to frustrate the intelligence of the intelligent. Why? So that no one will be able to boast before Him. It's all of God. It's none of us. Nothing of us. When we stand before God, we're going to take our crowns. And what are we going to do with them? We're going to place them at His feet. Because it's all of Him and nothing of us. None of us. It's His grace by which we are saved through faith. And so this is the place, the realization that the message of the cross has to bring every single one of us to if we are going to be saved. If we're going to stand before God thinking that we have some merits by which we can present to Him reasons for our salvation, we're mistaken. We have nothing to give God. Nothing to present to Him. He's given to us. And He's presented to us. His Son. And so today, I want to encourage every single person here. Put your faith holy. W-H-O-L-L-Y. 
completely and solely and perpetually in Jesus Christ and the promises of God. Trust in nothing else. Depend on the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let's just pray. Father, we thank you that you've chosen us to know you. You've chosen us to receive of your Spirit, to be saved through your Son. You've chosen us to know and understand your wisdom. That's been hidden for ages past. You've called us to be your very own. We realize and acknowledge today that there is nothing that we can do to save ourselves except putting our faith and our trust in you. And so that's today what we do. We put our faith and our trust in you in the blood of your son in his sacrifice on the cross for our sins in his resurrection in who he is and what he's done for us we put our faith and trust in your promises in jesus name amen